My name is Rick Renner, and right now I'm in Bethlehem in the cave or the grotto that is underneath the Church of the Nativity. The Church of the Nativity was a church built by the Emperor Justinian in the 6th century, but before that there was another church built here at the Order of Helena, who was the mother of Constantine, and that early church was built between 326 and 328, so very, very early. And early historical documents state Christ was born in this cave under this church. And there's really no reason to argue with those facts because they were recorded very early on. Even Justin Martyr wrote about it in the second century. This has always been reputed to be the place where Jesus was born. It's a cave. Doesn't look much like a cave today because of all the religious ornamentation. But if you go out into the Judean hillside, there are a lot of caves. This used to look like one of those caves. And the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 2 and verse 6, And so it was that while they were there in Bethlehem, the days were accomplished that Mary should be delivered. Verse 7, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. How I love that verse. That event took place in this room directly behind me where you see all the decorations on the wall. That commemorates the spot where Jesus was born. Today, I want to talk to you about the Christmas story. Stay tuned for a teaching you can trust, a message that will inspire, strengthen, and equip you with vital insights and understanding from the Word of God. Here is Rick. Welcome to today's program. I've just been waiting to get back together with you so that today we continue our story about the birth of Jesus. The name of this series that I'm teaching is called Christmas, the rest of the story. I'm trying to fill in all the blanks that most people don't see when they simply read the story in the Gospels. We're digging deeper to see what is really there. This story is just so wonderful. And Joel, welcome to the program. Thank you, thank you. So it's glad you're with me again good today. To be here. I'm having a good time doing these programs with you. This is very enjoyable. We're feeding truth to our TV family. Yes. Isn't it wonderful? And by the way, if you need prayer, we're here for you. We would love to pray with you. Somebody is just waiting for that phone to ring right now so they can put their faith together with you or send us an email. We want to pray with you. And I want to remind you that I'm offering you my series called Christmas, the rest of the story. You know, I heard the Christmas story for years and thought I had heard it all. And then I began to dig deep and extracted things that just amazed me and thrilled my heart. And that's what we're sharing with you in these programs. And the series is called Christmas, the rest of the story. It's 15 parts, comes with a remarkable study guide that you'll just love together. This is real dynamite. You'll love this. And right now we're also offering you my book, Sparkling Gems 1 and Sparkling Gems 2. Joel, what do you think of these books? I think they're amazing books. I think it's amazing that you wrote them. One of them you wrote in 60 days. This book I wrote in 60 days. I don't even know how I did that. It's pretty amazing. And I think it's a great Christmas gift. I remember we got a letter from the White House one day. 
and President Bush, he was given one of these books? He was. In fact, I have a letter from President Bush where he told me that he and his precious wife were using it as their daily devotional. It's amazing. That's just a wonderful gift to receive. It is. Thank you for reminding me of that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I also wrote Sparkling Gems number two because a lot of people already had number one. It doesn't matter which one you begin with. They're both daily devotionals. And Joel, there is more, literally more than a thousand Greek word studies in volume one an additional thousand Greek word studies in volume two. It is amazing, even if you don't want to use them as a daily devotional, in the back of these books, there's a whole list of the Greek words, the verses, everything is there. You can use these as study helps as you study the Bible. But anyway, you need them for your library and I want to encourage you to order your copies today. Also for people who become partners with our ministry, people often say, well, what is partner? Well, a lot of people pray for us and we appreciate that. We need prayer. It takes prayer to do everything. But a partner is someone who financially gives. They give regularly to help us take this teaching to people that want the verse by verse teaching of the Bible. There's a great absence a verse-by-verse verse teaching. There's a lot of good ministry, and I appreciate all of it, but my role is to bring verse-by-verse, word-by-word teaching of the Bible to feed people. Proverbs 10, 21 says, The lips of the righteous feed many. I believe that that is my assignment. And when you become a financial partner and you contribute financially to our ministry regularly, you help us take this teaching to people who really want to be taught the Bible. We're believing for a revival of the Bible. And my job is to bring the Bible to people that are hungry. And when people become a financial partner, we immediately send them Life in the Combat Zone. It's a book that I love. It's dedicated to partners. We also send them Denise's book, The Gift of Forgiveness. If you already are a partner, thank you, thank you, thank you. We pray for you every day. If you're not a partner, please become a partner with our ministry and help us do this work. If it's blessing you, Help us take it to someone else. But today, as I told you in the introduction to the program, we're going to go right into the cave where Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and we're going to see what is a manger and what are swaddling clothes. You know, I grew up singing Away in a Manger. Here are the words. Away in a manger, no crib for his head. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the sky looked down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. The cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes. But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. You know, I grew up singing that song. I bet you grew up singing that song. Joel, you did not grow up singing that song. No, we had a different tradition. We grew up, raised our kids in Russia. And in Russia, they really didn't celebrate Christmas because Christmas disappeared for 70 years due to the Soviet regime. And Russians really don't celebrate Christmas. They celebrate New Year's. No one here really celebrates Christmas. They're kind of now beginning to develop that tradition, but Christmas is not even on December 25th. December 25th is just a work day. It's a normal work day. Everyone goes to work. You know why? Because the rest of the world moved to the Gregorian calendar and Russia stayed on the Julian calendar. In fact, Russia only changed their calendar 127 years later. They finally went to the Gregorian calendar. But the Orthodox Church stayed on the Julian calendar, which makes all religious holidays two weeks later 
than Western holidays. So Christmas in Russia is on January 7th. Now, a lot of people know that the Western world celebrates on December 25th. Yes, they do. And so some families take that holiday. Very few. Yes, very few, but all of Russia celebrates January 7th. If you say Merry Christmas to somebody on December 25th here, they wonder what in the world you're talking about because here it's January 7th. So Christmas for our family, it's always been a little confusing, hasn't it? But in our family, because of Mama, she, she, she's a true American and in her heart about Christmas. Yes, she's on very sentimental. She's very sentimental about Christmas. But no one else is in our family, and so Mom and Dad have have tried to take that day and do something on December 25th. Let me give an example. One year, on December 25th, Denise said, "Rick, we have to do something. It's Christmas." So you know, we did. We went to the circus. Who goes to the circus on Christmas? But it wasn't Christmas here. And guess what we saw at the circus that day? It was amazing. I wish you could have been with us. There's nothing like the Russian circus. We were sitting on the second row from the ring. Russian circuses are very intimate. You're nearly in the ring with the animals. And guess what we saw? Three Kamchatka grizzly bears came skating out onto the ice in tutus. Have you ever seen a grizzly bear in skates? And they weren't just skating, they were skating on one foot with their other foot behind them doing circles, twists. It was amazing. And when the elephants came out, we could nearly touch the elephants. Wow. I remember when the elephants come out, you're sitting so close, you think if this elephant makes one step wrong on the ball. That's right. That's it. It's over. <laughs> but anyway, Christmas is a little confusing for us. We never know when to celebrate Christmas, so we usually just find a day to celebrate sometime the first week of January. But what happened the night Jesus was born? What was a manger and what were swaddling clothes? Well, let's go to Luke chapter 2, verse 1 to find out. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible tells us, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. Verse 4, And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Verse 5, To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. Verse 6, and so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son. What does that mean, firstborn son? We're going to find out. Wrapped him in swaddling clothes. What in the world are swaddling clothes? And laid him in a manger. What is a manger? Because there was no room for them in the inn. Why wasn't there any room for them? And what is an inn? Well, let's go back to verse 1 and find the answer to all these questions. But we have to begin in verse 1 where the Bible says, And it came to pass in those days there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. The word decree is very important here. It describes a public decree which was issued by the Roman Senate. And the decree was that all the world should be taxed. The word taxed here refers to a worldwide enrollment it was an empire-wide census to determine the population of the entire empire so they could determine the possible tax revenue and budget of the government 
and this was done very, very rarely. So we're able to pinpoint exactly when this took place. And the Bible tells us it happened during the days when Cyrenius was the governor of Syria. Now, some people that are skeptics, they say, well, you can't really find when this took place during that period when Cyrenius was the governor, but he was governor twice. That's what they miss. And he, this really took place when Cyrenius was the governor of the region. But the Bible says, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. In this verse, I want us to look at the word decree. I want us to look at the word Caesar Augustus, the word world, and what does it mean when all the world went to be taxed. But let's begin with the word decree. This word decree is a Greek word dogma. It describes a public decree which was issued by the Roman Senate. Well, when the Roman Senate issued a decree, it was emphatically to be obeyed. So this was a very strong decree. And the Bible says it went to all the world. Well, all the world's a big place. So what does it really mean when it says all the world? The word world is the Greek word which describes the inhabited world, the civilized world, or it is the very word used to depict the Roman Empire. Of course, it was not for America or Africa. It was for the Roman Empire. For them, that was all the world. That was the world to them. And the Bible says they were to be taxed. The word tax is a word which means to be enrolled. And it was actually the word for an empire-wide census. Every once in a while, every country has a census to find out how many citizens they have. This was a census which was being taken, and it was empire-wide to determine the population of the empire and determine the possible tax revenue and budget for the government. And this was very, very rarely done. And the Bible says it was done during the time of Caesar Augustus, who was Octavian who succeeded Julius Caesar, and Octavian was responsible for the deaths of the famous Mark Antony and Cleopatra, who, by the way, were very dear friends of Herod the Great. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. All these people were connected. You don't usually put Cleopatra and Mark Antony in the story of Herod the Great, but they were friends. In fact, in Jerusalem, there was a tower called the Tower of Antonius. It was named after Mark Antony. They were really very dear friends. And Herod... The great had a, had, a, had a relationship with Cleopatra. Well, Cleopatra had a relationship with a lot of people. That's how she made friends with her enemies. But look at verse 2. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. Now, Joel, I want to point out the people who are critics of the Scripture often say, well, there's no evidence they ever did a worldwide census when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. But they missed the fact that he was governor twice. Hmm. And this did occur during one of the times when he was governor. Look at verse 3. And all went to be taxed, everyone, to his own city. When the Bible says all, guess what? It means all. It's the Greek word pantes, which means everyone, all, no one excluded. Now, there's a whole sermon in this. But it says everyone the word everyone, the Greek word hekestas, which again means everyone, all, no one excluded. So in this moment, the entire Roman Empire was in movement. If we had been allowed to look back in time and just peek into the world at that time, we would have seen business closing, businesses were closing, schools were closing, people were packing their bags, everyone getting ready for a trip, everyone in the empire. Can you imagine this? Business lost, time lost, 
such an inconvenience. I can't even begin to imagine the public grumbling that was taking place. Why in the world are we being required to do this? Every single person in the world, the Greek word for the Roman Empire, all of them were being required to go back home. It was great for tourism because the ships were full, the hotels were full, but it wasn't great for business back home because everything was closed. Everyone was in movement to get back to their original location. And knowing how strict Herod was, he was a paranoid. I'm sure that he wanted to fulfill this order. Absolutely. Herod demanded that everybody in his territory did this, of course. But this was a huge inconvenience that caused a lot of worldwide complaining. But God was working. God was working. And you know what I learned from this story? For Bible prophecy to be fulfilled and for Mary and Joseph to be where they needed to be, Bethlehem, where Jesus was prophesied to be born, for them to be where they were supposed to be, God was willing to inconvenience the entire world to get them there. I think that is so powerful because it tells me God will do anything to get you where you need to be. God will inconvenience people. God will change people's plans. God will move the world if he has to, to get you where you need to be. That is literally what happened in this story. Then you come to Luke chapter 2 and verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and of the lineage of David. When the Bible says Joseph went up, it literally means up, referring to the elevation of Jerusalem. It's higher than Nazareth. So they were literally going up. But there's another part of the story that we have to make note of. This was a very long, difficult journey for a woman about to give birth to a baby. It was about 70 to 90 miles depending on which route you took. But for a person in good shape that was not great with child, this would take four days. You could walk about 20 miles a day. For a woman great with child who is traveling on a mule, who needed multiple times to say to her spouse, honey, I need a bathroom break. Imagine a woman great with child, Joel, nine months right on the edge of giving birth, riding on a mule for 70 to 90 miles up and down, up and down, the inconvenience of that saying, stop, 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 I've got to go to the bathroom, and camping along the way. Can you imagine that? It's amazing. If, if Joseph said to his wife, Mary, we're going to go on a camping trip, and nine months pregnant for 10 days, what would her reaction be like? And 10 days is about how long it would have taken for a woman in her condition. They project 7 to 10 days, some say even longer. Mm -hmm. So it was a camping trip for 7 to 10 days, a very pregnant woman riding on the back of a mule. You know what this tells me? God's willing to inconvenience you to get you where you need to be. You know, sometimes people say, well, if it's hard, it's not God. You know what? That's not the God that I know. He's asked me to do a lot of hard things to get me where he needed me to be. God will put you through a lot to get you where you need to be. You've got to be willing to say, yes, Lord, I'll do whatever you say. I'll go wherever you tell me to be. They were willing to obey God, and God got them where they needed to be. And they came to Bethlehem. That's even important because the word Bethlehem means the house of bread. Well, in John chapter 6, verse 41, Jesus said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. He is the bread of life, and he was born in Bethlehem, 
which prophetically means the house of bread. The bread that came down from heaven was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. And when you come to Luke 5, it says he came to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife being great with child, verse 6. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered, verse 7. And she brought forth, forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Firstborn is important. It is a Greek word which means firstborn or the first of other children. Some religious traditions say that Mary only had one child. It doesn't agree with the Bible. The very fact that he was called firstborn means there were others. In Matthew 13, 55, we have the name of the others. The Bible tells us Mary had four other sons, at least two more girls. One son was Joseph, James, Jude, Simeon. Two of them wrote books of the Bible. The word sisters is plural, so there were at least two. If you add Jesus, there were at least seven kids in this family, but Jesus was the firstborn and the only one supernaturally born. That's why he's called the firstborn. And the Bible says she wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Joel, what in the world does swaddling clothes mean? I'm going to tell you. The word swaddling clothes, listen to this, it's so powerful, describes the bandages or strips of material used for wrapping the little legs of newborn lambs. And they would have been very available because Jesus was born in a cave filled with animals that included little lambs. Well, in John 1.29 and John 1.36, in both of those verses, Jesus is introduced as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And now we find that when Jesus was born, even in his birth, he was wrapped in swaddling clothes, he was literally wrapped in the bandages or the strips of material normally used for little lambs. And when Jesus first appears in his birth, initially he appears as the Lamb of God. That's why this phrase, swaddling clothes, is so important. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And she laid him in a manger. The word manger is the word for a feeding trowel for animals. And if you go to the cave that is in Bethlehem, there is a stone feeding trowel that is still there. It is original. That is where they laid him. There was no room for them in the end. Why wasn't there room? Tradition says, well, they were too poor to pay for a room. No, no, no. There was a worldwide census taking place. The rooms were already taken by the time they got there. Everybody was in Bethlehem. There was no room for them because they were late arrivals. So they had to look for somewhere else for Jesus to be born. And the Bible tells us he was born outside, somewhere else, not in an inn. Well, where was he born? In Bethlehem is the church of the nativity, which is constructed over the cave where this monumental event took place. Now listen, because there was no room for them in the inn, they came to a cave that was normally used as a refuge for shepherds and their flocks. It was full of animals. It was very noisy. I know we love the song, Silent Night, Holy Night, but it was not a silent night at all, my friend. That's just a tradition. There was nothing silent about it at all. That cave was filled with all kinds of shepherds and animals and travelers. It was a very noisy place where Jesus was born. There is no reason to doubt the ancient tradition. From the earliest times, Christian writers confirmed this was the location where Jesus was born. For example, Justin Martyr in the year 165 A.D. says 
that because they could not find room in an inn, Jesus was born in a cave in Bethlehem. That was recorded in 165. Origen wrote, at Bethlehem is a cave where people first saw the light. Or we read that Constantine's mother, Helena, converted the cave into a small church and decorated it with marble and precious stones. Later, Constantine adorned the cave in a real regal style. And today the cave can still be reached by going down a flight of stairs from the cathedral or the church of the nativity. That's where I was in the beginning of today's program. And when you descend into the cave, there's a star on the ground that commemorates the place where the incarnation took place. That is where Jesus was born. We're out of time, but tomorrow we're gonna to see more about this, but we'll be back in just a moment and we're going to pray for you. Everyone thinks they know the Christmas story. But what you don't know are the fascinating details that only God could have orchestrated. In Rick Renner's 15-part series, Christmas, The Rest of the Story, Rick uncovers the shocking and surprising events that occurred at the time of Jesus' birth. In this series, you'll discover the amazing details that are often overlooked, topics like exactly who Joseph was and why it mattered, what was the star that guided the wise men, and the significance of the gifts the wise men brought to the Christ child. Available in digital or physical format starting at just $24. You'll have a deeper understanding of the meaning and importance of Christmas, the rest of the story. When you call or go online today, you can also get sparkling gems from the Greek volumes one and two. So many Christians live their entire lives skimming the surface of the word of God most never discover the profound truth treasures that lie deep within the text. In Sparkling Gems from the Greek, Rick unlocks the brilliant treasures within God's Word and shows you how to live an intimate, uncompromising life with God. In an easy-to-read devotional format, each volume of Sparkling Gems explores more than 1,000 in-depth Greek word studies, revealing the profound wisdom and counsel from the Bible. Get one or both of these valuable resources today. Sparkling Gems 1 for just $40 and Sparkling Gems 2 for only $45. Don't miss this special offer, Christmas, the rest of the story, and the companion books Sparkling Gems 1 and 2. Call now or go to renner.org to order. I really enjoyed this program today, talking about the place where Jesus was born. And tomorrow, we're going to see what kind of miracle really took place on that holy night. But if you need prayer, we're here for you. Remember that. If you ever need prayer, Rick Renner Ministries is available to pray with you. We're offering you my series called Christmas, The Rest of the Story. It's 15 parts. comes in multiple formats with a phenomenal study guide. Together, you'll be able to understand and study all these points and principles and Greek words. All of this history, it is just packed. We're also offering you my books, Sparkling Gems 1, Sparkling Gems 2, what a great way to start the new year or a great gift to give somebody else during the holiday season. And for those who become partners with our ministry, we always send them Life in the Combat Zone and the Gift of Forgiveness by Denise. That's for anyone who becomes a financial partner to help us take this ministry to others. But Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you were born for us, that you appeared to take away the sin of the world, that you are the Lamb of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember Ecclesiastes 8.4, where the word of a king is, there is power. And tomorrow, Joel and I will be back with you again. Renner Ministries is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ through every available media to the uttermost parts of the earth. 
Discover the many ways you can help us make a difference in lives around the world with the Word of God. We invite you to partner with us in teaching, strengthening, and rescuing lives for the glory of God. Together, we can make a difference that will last throughout eternity. 